0: You're listening to Marathon Church Podcast. We exist to build communities that love Jesus, love people, and live on purpose. To learn more about Marathon Church, visit marathonchurch.org. We hope that this encourages you today and builds your faith. Enjoy this week's message. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I'm so excited to celebrate with you. My name is Casey Callahan, and I have the honor of being the kids pastor here One of the greatest joys of my life is serving with the kids here. So I'm always surprised, I guess, when my name comes up on the board for me to do a message. And I go and I sit in Brian and Eddie's offices and I say, are you sure? Are you really, really sure? And I feel like when Brian says things like, Casey Callahan's about to come out, that's your last warning. Like, okay, get ready. It's about to happen. But I'm so glad you guys are here today to celebrate such an amazing day. Um, I will warn you, I already have a tissue in my hand. I can get a little emotional um, when I I speak. And today is just such an emotional day. I have to tell you, these babies on stage, and we had another family that got sick that was going to be up here. But two years ago, I prayed. It's like, God, I was seeing all of our kids get older, and I prayed. I was like, God, I want to see babies just in this hallway again. I want to hear their laughter. I want to comfort their cries, like, God, send babies, and I got pregnant. (laughs) And I was like, that's not what I meant. But won't he do it, y'all? Be careful what you pray for, because he will do it. And it's so amazing to see God just deliver on his promises. So already an emotional day for me, so I'm just going to put that out there. We are doing a new series that starts today called The Grass is Always Greener. And um, like I said, I saw my name up on the board, and I tried to talk myself out of it a few times. um, And I was praying and I was asking God, like, well, because Brian and Eddie are like, you know, just do some kind of Mother's Day something. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And I was just begging God, like, please show me, like, give me an idea of what you want me to share on Mother's Day. And when Brian came to me and said, we have this new series we're thinking about doing and actually would work best if we could start it on Mother's Day. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, the grass is always greener. I said, so that sums it up. <laughs> oh my word. If that is not motherhood up one side and down the other, I don't know what it is. But it's not just motherhood, it's just life. Um, I know I definitely have issues with thinking the grass is always greener on the other side. And I bet most of you guys do too. We all have that where if we just see what we have, what our life is, what God's given us, we can be content. Like, okay, God, this is cool. I got this. The, I'm happy with life, but then something makes you peek over the fence, and you're like, but what do they have? And they look happy, and if they're happy with that, I have to have that to be happy. It's in us. It's just ingrained in us. So that's something that can be super dangerous in our lives. It can be really bad for our lives. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that, but to get us started off, I thought that maybe we should define what... The greener grass is. Okay, so this is just kind of my working definition. The green grass refers to that thing that I think I currently don't have, but I think it will give me what I actually want most. So whatever that green grass is for you, the, the car, the house, the job, the marriage, the kid, whatever that is, it is that thing that I think I currently don't have but I think it will give me what I actually want most. And I include the words I think in there because it's important to realize that it's a mind game. See, I was happy until I looked and saw what they had. It's all in our minds and social media has made it so much worse, right? Um, We used to have to dream about what our neighbors had if you weren't friends with them and didn't get invited. You used to just kind of imagine what it was, or you would ride through the neighborhood and if a a neighbor had their garage door going up, you're kind of like this as you go by. Like, is their garage messy? What's parked in there? And then you had the celebrities and you would dream about what it would be like to live a life as a celebrity. What would that be like? What would would their houses look like? What do they eat? And social media has just laid it all out there for us. But we're all guilty of it and we all put the best of it forward on social media. And moms, please say I'm not the only one. When your kids do something and you wanna take a picture of it, you take it to the cleanest corner of your house, right? You're like moving stuff out of the way, you push laundry baskets and you make your house, you probably have like a Pinterest corner in your mind that you're like, I can take a picture there at the drop of a hat. The rest of your house, not so much. But we create this vicious cycle because we want people to look at our stuff and say, I want that. I wish I was like her why can't I be like them? And it's the same thing that we do for other people. It's a vicious cycle that we just continually put into. So to try to help us, I thought we would have a little exercise that we're gonna try. So I want you guys to fill in the blank on this statement. As soon as I get blank, I'll have what I want. So as soon as I get fill in the blank, then I'll have what I want. So what's that thing for you? have a couple of ideas here that I've written down. For some of you, maybe it's as soon as I get out of debt, I'll have what I want. And that's not a bad thing to be out of debt. Or maybe you're saying as soon as I get my own home, then I'll have what I want. As soon as we're able to purchase a house, as soon as I have a place that I call my own, or as soon as I get a new job, as soon as my husband gets a new job, as soon as my wife gets a new job, as soon as the hours are more flexible, as soon as we make more money, then I'll have what I want. Or if we have any teachers or school district employees, as soon as summer gets here, I'll have what I want. But if you're a parent, it's as soon as the school year starts back, I'll have what I want. The summer is a really hard time for us. Um, So some of you might be thinking as soon as I get married or as soon as I have kids, but parents in the room will tell you that having kids does not solve problems or make it easier or make it better. And for some parents, especially like in my stage right now, so I'm gonna give a birthday shout out to the first one that called me mom, Emerson turns 13 today. I cannot believe I have a teenager. Yes, sweet Emerson as a teenager, so I have a 13-year-old son, I have a nine-year-old daughter, and I have a two-year-old daughter. So we are in the trenches. I'm driving a minivan, we are going to baseball, we have dance, we're potty training, we are parenting sun up to sundown. And I gotta be honest, I look at some empty nesters in the room, and I'm like, oh, as soon as I get there, Lord, let me raise my kids and get them out of my house, and as soon as I get there, I'm gonna have what I want. But all the empty nesters in the room are saying, yes, it's that good, (laughs) right? I mean, that's just what I imagine you would say is, yes, it's that good when you get to the empty nest. I just, with what I deal with every day, that's what I'm living for at the moment. That's the greener grass for me. But if you really pull back whatever it is that fills in the blank, whatever that want is that you have, there's something underneath that. And I think that what's underneath the greener grass mindset is this insatiable appetite for more. It, it really says no matter how good my yard gets, it's never going to be good enough. It's never quite green enough. It's never quite thick enough. I never get all the weeds out. No matter how much money you make, it's never going to be quite enough. You're always going to need to t- make a little bit more. No matter how new that car is, There's going to be a newer car that's going to come out. And I think if we allow that mindset to sneak into our lives, because it's always lurking, it's always knocking on the door, it will steal our life from us. It's a literal thief. It will steal our joy, and it will take the life right out from underneath us. So we're going to look into our Bibles. I love a good Bible story. (laughs) One reason I love kids ministry so much is telling Bible stories. And it's so funny, we tell the kids every week and we tell the students. Chase just did a message Wednesday night with the students. that if you have a question, if you have a problem, if you have an issue, the answer is in his word. Might not just be completely spelled out for you. You might have to study it a little bit. But God gives us the answer right in his word. So this is a story that um, is from the history of the nation of Israel. And it's kind of the story that runs in the background of the David and Goliath story. So most of us have heard the David and Goliath story somehow, way. But if you haven't, David is a little scrawny kid. And he's delivering lunch out to the battlefield to his older brothers who are the actual soldiers. But there's this giant named Goliath from the enemy army. And no one can defeat them. No one. They don't know what to do. So scrawny David goes up and he defeats Goliath, right? That's such a cool Bible story. I love telling it in kids, it's a great story. So this is kind of the backstory to David and Goliath. So God had led his people out of slavery. The Israelites were slaves, lived a horrible life in Egypt and God used Moses to lead them out and Moses took them out into the desert. So slavery was bad, but the Israelites hated The desert. So they had spent this whole time being slaves saying, Get us out of here, free us. And they went to the other side and they were in the desert and they said, Wait a minute, this is worse, take us back. They were so not thankful and constantly looking over, not happy with what they had. So a couple of generations later, the Israelites finally made it into the promised land. And this was such a huge moment for God's people to finally make it into the land that he had promised them. And it was the land, if you've heard the saying, it was overflowing with milk and honey. And I tell kids, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of milk and honey. It's not always in my cupboard. Like, that's just not part of our, our diet daily. So I'm like, it's like sweet tea and Doritos or something. Whatever it is, it's awesome, whatever that milk and honey is. But it wasn't awesome enough. And they started looking across the borders. And they saw other countries and other nations. And what they noticed was that these other countries and these other nations across the fence, they all had a ruler. But they didn't because God wanted to be their king. And the people said, well, we don't want you to be our king. We want what they have. They have a human ruler send us a man to rule over us. And I don't know about you guys right now, but I'm like, God, please come come rule over us right now. But God is kind and gracious, and he allowed that. He said, okay, and he let them have a king. So we're gonna pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter nine, and they're on this exploration to go find their king. And at the beginning of chapter nine, it says this. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abil, the son of Zerah, the son of Becherath, the son of Ephiah, of Benjamin. And yes, I know how to say all those names, because all you have to do is say it with confidence and people believe you, because... <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know that anybody actually knows how to pronounce every name in the Bible, but if you say it with enough confidence. All right, so Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be, found anywhere in Israel. And that's not my words, that's the literal scripture that I'm reading. So as handsome a young man as he could be, found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So I'm going to pause here for a second because I think that there's something for us to learn about how the writer is describing Saul. So first of all, if you don't say who you are, someone else is going to define you. If you don't know who you are and you don't come out and say it, they're going to define you. And usually it's using something external. They have this, they look like that, they are this, whatever. So it's always better if you define yourself instead of letting someone else do it. And based on Saul's life, what we see here is that he has two definitions that he gets stuck with. Number one um, was that he was as handsome as anyone in the land. And number two is that he was a head taller than anyone else. And I thought this was really interesting. It wasn't enough to say that he was tall. I'm tall. It's not enough to say that he's tall. He has to be compared to everyone else. He's a head taller than anyone else. And this made me think... I don't want to know how I'm doing. I want to know how I'm doing versus everyone else, right? I don't want to know just that I'm a good mom. Am I as good of a mom as they are? Am I as good of a wife? Am I as good of a kid's pastor as another kid's pastor? Am I as good of a Jesus follower? And I will just lay it out here for you guys. I 100%, and I've been called on it before in a sinful way, I absolutely base who I am on my kids' achievements or disobedience, depending on the day and the kid. I can wake up in the morning and I can be feeling good. Everybody's in a good mood. I have packed the cutest lunch with a note in and in a cute lunchbox and I send them off and they get there on time and I'm rocking this mom thing. Like I have got it under control until the first email comes in from the teacher. The The last one was that he moonwalked to the trash can and I was like, did he do a good job? Like, did, how was he? We've been practicing. But, you know, or I get the notification that there's missing assignments. And that just cuts me as a mom. All of a sudden, I'm not a good mom anymore. Right? And you probably feel the same way, even if you're not a mom. You think you're doing good. By your standards, I've done what I can do. I'm feeling good about it. Until something from the outside comes in. Oh, how am I doing versus that? Not as good. So Saul, unfortunately, based on the way the rest of his life worked out, he seemed to allow this thought to get inside of him. How am I doing against David? How am I, how am I doing against David? Because it doesn't create a healthy thing when we define ourselves based on external anything, right? So so here's, um, here's where he actually, um, David and Goliath actually went down. It's in chapter 17. And I would just want to say... If I could sit down and talk to Saul before this, if I could look at him and say, dude, you are the first king. You are chosen. You are rocking it. You are doing a great job. God created you to be you to do this job. If I could say that to him, I wonder how things would have been different. Of course I didn't. And God wrote down something completely different. But on the battlefield, here's Goliath and He is just talking smack, this giant. He is just completely calling out the army, saying, I dare you, send someone across. I can defeat anybody. You'll become our slaves. And Saul, as the king, is literally saying, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. Scrawny David's coming up. He's the little brother just delivering lunch, right? He has lunch bags. And Saul lets David go out there. And David kills the giant, So this is cool, right? This is so cool for David, such a cool story. But it was also really good for Saul. Saul was the king while this happened. Goliath was defeated under his leadership. He could have taken credit for being the wise king that let this happen, but he didn't because he didn't like the attention that David got. In 1 Samuel 18, 6, when they came back home from the battle, it says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all of the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful song, with timbrels and lyres. Because that's how you know it's really getting turned is when people bring out timbrels and lyres. They danced and they sang. And the words they sang were, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And this is how Saul responded. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. And when this next line is really important, he said, what more can David get but my kingdom? Okay, remember, David is a scrawny kid. He did something really awesome. He beat a giant. That was really cool. But that's all he had, and a few women singing about him. Saul was still the king. He was still in charge. He was put there by God. But he was so worried that at this point in Saul's life, he just pretty much pulled the stool up to the fence and stuck his neck over and watched David for the rest of his life. In fact, Scripture says, from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. But Saul really should have been more worried about what was going on with him? What was making him so worried about what David was doing? Um, Right now, Saul doesn't really have the best reputation as a leader. He could have been seen as wise King Saul, who's under his leadership. They defeated the giants, but instead he couldn't be happy with what he was given. He was so worried about David. And just imagine if he had decided, you know what? Good for you, David. I'm so glad that under my leadership you did this. I'm gonna give you a palace and I'm gonna give you no taxes for the rest of your life. I have no idea what he would have done. But what a different story this life that he led would have been. But he didn't do that. He didn't celebrate. And what he should have been celebrating turned into bitterness and hatred. And that kind of stuck out to me. I think it's something for us to pay attention to. If there's something that you can't celebrate that's probably where the bitterness is starting. If you have a family member or a friend or a coworker or another parent on the baseball team and something good happens for them, if you can't celebrate that, if your first response is, well, if I had that, well, you just wait until I'm like that, be careful because that's the seed of bitterness. If you can't celebrate it, it's gonna grow into bitterness and hatred. And that emotion will tear you apart and it will rob you of life. So sad story for Saul. Literally died chasing David, but I think it gets sadder for me. David is one of my favorite Bible characters to study. He's fascinating. And if you know anything about David, usually what you say about him is he's a man after God's own heart. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means. I love that saying, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what that means. But followed up by that, But boy, howdy, did he mess up. Oh, that David, oh man, he made some bad decisions. So David, Saul dies chasing David and David eventually gets to become king. He has his kingdom, he has everything. He has it all. So did David learn from Saul? Well, let's see, all right. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, this isn't a story I tell often in kids' church. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I don't get to tell this one very much. The woman was very beautiful. And so David sent someone out to find out about her. And the report came back in. She is Bathsheba. She is the daughter of Eliam, and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, how could have David responded here? You go, Uriah. You go, boy. Your wife's a beaut. I'm so happy for y'all. You're going to have beautiful children. That's amazing. I bless your marriage. Awesome. I'm just going to go over here and stop looking at your wife. That was one way to handle it, King David. But that's not what he did. Um... For those of you that know the rest of the story, he couldn't help looking over the fence and wanting what was not his and what did not belong to him and what God had not given him. And it ruined his legacy. It absolutely ruined his legacy as king. He lost one of his sons. He created such a problem by looking over the fence. And I'm telling you that if this can happen to Saul and it can happen to David and it can happen to me, and it can happen to you, that this is something God wants us to pay attention to. And I really think there are three ways that we can learn this greener grass lesson. All right, God's really wanting us to learn. So the first way is by Saul's example. You could chase it your whole life and never get it. You could literally die chasing it. And you may have someone in your mind right now That when you think of them, you think it's never enough for them. They're literally going to die chasing it, and they're never going to get it. It's never going to be enough. Or you could learn the lesson the way that David did. You could get it and then realize you never actually needed it, and it's not going to satisfy you. David's lesson was a hard lesson to learn. It took everything from him. Some of you, you, you want to be married so bad. You want that job. You, you want the house. And the same negative emotion that drove you to get it is the same emotion that's present when you get it, and it's going to keep you wanting more. Um, there was this really amazing philosopher. It's an actor. He had just an incredible thought. He's in an epic movie called Dumb and Dumber. Um, and I'll go ahead and admit it. I quote this movie every day every single day. I love this movie. A lot of our staff quote it every day. Um, The actor's Jim Carrey. And uh, according to the internet, he said this, and I didn't do a whole lot of research past that, so I'm hoping it's true. So just don't picture Lloyd Christmas saying this right now, um, because it's very deep and profound. But this is what Jim Carrey said. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer it's pretty amazing, right? We all want it, absolutely. I know for a fact I do, I, I admitted in first service, I'm signed up to get real estate emails about houses that go on the market. And I think, oh, if I just lived in that house, if I just had that house, if I just had that car, if, if Chase just gets his single out and this happens, If we just had this number of kids checked in, if we had this happen at camp, I think it all the time. I think it. And what would I do with it if God gave me all that? Would I realize it was never what I needed to begin with? So thank goodness there's a third way. And this is where I might get emotional, guys. So the third way is you can just learn to trust your heavenly father. You can learn to believe that he has you exactly where he has you for a reason. And that following him really is the answer to finding what you're looking for. Because we say greener grass like it doesn't exist, but I think it's a real thing. I think in our hearts, there's a thing that wants more. I think that inside us, as we were created, there's something that says, I want more but I think that was created by the Heavenly Father. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you in the fullest. And I think deep in our heart, we're chasing boats and cars and houses and relationships and jobs. But what we need to be chasing is the Father, because that hole can only be filled by Him. Um, Why do I believe that? Because I've seen it happen in my own life and my family's life. But I also believe that God's Word is true. And in Psalms, um, there's a whole book. It's actually like poems and lyrics to songs, and they're amazing. And one of the most popular ones, and probably one of the most famous ones, it's beautiful, is the 23rd Psalm. And my grandmother, this this is where the tears come. My grandmother had me memorize the 23rd Psalm, first scripture I ever memorized. Still know it in the good old King James Version. And I think about her pouring that into me. And so as I reread this scripture and I think of what God's saying, remember I told you that God's always got the answer in his word if we look for it. And so when I read this, studying for this message, and saw how God brought it full circle, Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I lack nothing. That means in poverty, it means in wealth. I lack nothing. In sickness, I lack nothing. In health, I lack nothing. this gets me. Next verse says, he makes me lie down in the green pastures. In the what, y'all? In the green pastures. The greenest of pastures. He invites me into this pasture and he lets me lay down in it guys, how much hard work goes into making our grass green? We gotta cut it, we gotta weed it, we gotta fertilize it. We got so much to do. What does God tell me? He says, I've got green grass for you right here. Come lay down in it. You don't have to work it. It is green and it is waiting for you. It says, he leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. Y'all, the grass isn't what's refreshing my soul, not the water, nothing is refreshing my soul except for him. He guides me along the right paths, the best paths for me, for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, those hard times, those difficult times, those scary times, those lonely times, I will fear no evil for you are with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And I believe that that's possible because that's God's Word. And I teach your kids every week, God does not break a promise. God always keeps His promises. And how awesome is He? We're looking for greener grass. And what does His Word tell us? Come lay down in this pasture. Stop fighting for it. Stop working for it. Stop looking for it. And I think what's crazier is that King David wrote that bless his soul King David wrote that and I think reading this I know for me what I've seen what I was convicted of and what I want to change I don't want to waste any more of my life wanting to live someone else's I want to trust that God has me where I am doing what I'm supposed to do with what I have right now so can you do that can you trust that God can lead you into green green pastures? Can you trust that God has the best path for you? Because he wants to lead you into greener grass. All you have to do is follow him. If you were encouraged by today's message and made a decision to follow Jesus, be sure you let us know by connecting with us online at MarathonChurch.org. If you haven't already, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience more messages, videos, and live gatherings, visit us at MarathonChurch.org or download the Marathon Church app. Thank you for listening to Marathon Church Podcast.